So I did get in a little bit of trouble. I had the representative for Rick Moranis call me and say I'm infringing on his character from Spaceballs with his giant helmet behind me. <laughs> so our legal team is working on this so I can keep this background, right. which um, Darren, have you made those calls yet? Yeah, you, you know, we're, <laughs> things are moving. How's that? that <laughs> Not only are you the graphics guy, you are the legal team as well. I've reached out to Mr. Moranis himself directly and haven't heard anything back yet. We'll see. <laughs> it's time for the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. The March, I almost said the March Madness. Like, I'm, I'm going to go to the Walmart. Uh, I like indefinite articles, okay? <laughs> Can we just start over? Absolutely. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's episode two, season three of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast, and we have breaking news tonight, Darren. Yes, we do. Which part, though? It is still stifling hot in Louisiana. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't know that that's breaking news, especially if you live in northwest Louisiana. That's uh, that's every moment when you wake up kind of news. You know it immediately. <laughs> this time of year, I'm using reverse psychology on the weather. I, I, I figure if I keep saying it's breaking news, it's hot, then eventually it's not going to be hot. I know it makes no sense at all, but <laughs> hey, you know what you got to do? You got to do. I, I think you give it a shot at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. We grasp for straws this That's time right. of year. Whatever you can do, if it works, you know, even if you have to do that, what is that mental thing where you tell yourself it's it's cold, it's cold, and you're supposed to be able to make your temperature drop or whatever? Yeah, yeah. whatever you got to do when it's this kind of weather. I tell you, the brain is a is a, an incredible thing, and it really is the the ideas we come up with. Hmm, who knows? Yeah, so exactly. Before we get into um, some news tonight, Darren, I I want to let our viewers know that um, I'm wearing a shirt, a Bahama Bob's T-shirt today, uh, standing with this great restaurant down in Gulf Shores that that we love to go to every year. On July 16th, it it burned. Not all of it. It didn't burn to the ground, but a significant part burn a lot of damage they are closed till october 7th and i think about that all the people that come there to work in the summer suddenly out of a job um, the people yeah. that love to go eat there on their vacation suddenly unable to do that thankfully there were no injuries but it's a great great place if you've never been be sure to check it out sometime so just want to give a shout out to bahama bobs love that Absolutely. place it's always a great great experience great people great food and thinking about them as they uh, continue these efforts to repair and rebuild after this fire. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely thinking about Mahab and Bob's. And hopefully the next time I'm in that area, it's something we can do. I'd love to check them out. Well, yeah, we may need to do a remote from there sometime. Now you're talking. Now we're really getting down to business. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> well, let's not get down to business just yet. Right. Because we have a birthday to celebrate today. Oh, yes, we do. The coach, Lee Corso, 88 years old today. That is so incredible to be doing it as long as he has been doing it. And I mean, how many quotables does he have in his uh, 
you know, not so fast, my friend, you know, that's the first mm. one that always not so fast, my friend. Uh, you know, do you remember, um, did you ever play the, the, um, the college, uh, football, like on PlayStation or, or Xbox and, you know, it was him and, and, um, it, well, it was the game day guys uh, at the time. And he was always the one that had the, you know, if somebody got hurt, it, they, it would end the, the little commentary about the player getting hurt went in with, with coach Corso saying, get up and put some dirt on it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Corso has been a fixture on college game day since the very beginning. I think it was yeah. like what, 1987, something yeah, like that. That sounds right. That it sounds goes right. back. He's been there from the beginning uh, mm-hmm. He started the whole putting on the for his his big pick of the week the 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 that, mascot head of the team yep, that he's selecting yep. to win, it, just really great. You know he suffered a stroke in two thousand and nine, and he's he's battled the effects of that. And we yeah, we've all seen him. All of us that tune in and watch, we we've seen yep. the aging process. Yeah, and it 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 hurts to to yep. see see that, but we so appreciate all that he's done for college football. And so yep. a very, very happy birthday to Lee Corso. You know, it's awesome that he had that stroke that long. And, and as you see, as you say, you can see the aging process. You can see the effects, the stroke. I mean, you can tell the difference in, in, in how that looks and how he looks every week. But the fact that he is still going strong, that we're talking about his 88th birthday, that's awesome. That's really, really incredible. No doubt about it. Hope he has a wonderful, wonderful day. So, absolutely. Now, his birthday is Monday. We release this episode on Tuesday, but we record on Monday just to clear up any confusion that any of our listeners might have about that. And you might not have even known it was birthday, his birthday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday, or watching this on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So, you still get to celebrate it. It's it's all good, no matter the day. You still get to celebrate. Thank you for mentioning that, Darren. I forgot to say that you can you can watch us as well as listen That's to right. us. And after watching last week, I, I might prefer to listen to us, but hey, to eat. <laughs> That's right. Hopefully we'll get this figured out. You know, oh, speaking of watching us last week, I noticed your head is still being eaten by the really large football helmet. Well, it is. you know, we we talk so much about my ears disappearing. Number one, I would like to point out that I'm trying to make this ear visible. The mm-hmm. headphone is behind it. But also, do you notice my new cool background that I've got? I like it. I like well, it. You know, we we talked a lot, and we're going to talk a lot tonight about the Pac-12. Reached out to their uh, their media relations to see if we could get a uh, um, right to, to use their logo this week, and they sent us their newest and most updated logo. And if you can see off to my, I guess as you're looking at it, my right – my right shoulder as you're looking at it you can see a little bit of it it's a combination of pac 12 with pac 10 and then to make sure it's as current and as up to date as possible there's a four spray painted on it because now they're basically the pac four so mm. it's it's their most current logo still makes things kind of disappear a little bit but nonetheless it's a little bit better than last week so <laughs> nice nice I, I love it i love it it's 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 great darren I love the logo, and you look so great tonight. Of course, you looked great last week. You were losing your ears, but hey, it yeah. is what it is. <laughs> I looked earless this week. I just wanted to confirm. Like, yeah, there we go. I do have an ear on this side. I just I wanted to confirm that this week. So, <laughs> so I did get in a little bit of trouble. I had the representative for Rick Moranis call me and say I'm infringing on his character from Spaceballs with his giant helmet behind me. <laughs> so 
our legal team is working on this so I can keep this background, right. which yeah. um, Darren, have you made those calls yet? Yeah. You, you know, we're, <laughs> things are moving. How's that? that <laughs> Not only are you the graphics guy, you are the legal team as well. I've reached out to Mr. Moranis himself directly and haven't heard anything back yet. We'll see. <laughs> Well, if you're watching, you can see we have a play sheet up on the screen that kind of yep. gives a roadmap for where we're going in this episode. So if you if you like that kind of thing and want to want to know exactly what we're going to cover tonight, the play sheet is right up there uh, between Darren and I. And, and let's get right into it with the big, big news. And that is conference realignment. We talked about what bad shape the Pac-12 was in last week mm -hmm. and it all came tumbling yeah. down Darren yeah uh, the Pac-12 is basically the Pac-4 as your graphic behind you says with um, teams going to the Big 12 and teams going to the Big 10 and Darren as you're as you watched all this unfold and who's going where what were your thoughts you know, the crazy thing was Friday morning when you, you know, you do your first scroll through Twitter, uh, there was actually some indication out there because there was a meeting uh, 10 o'clock uh, Pacific time for all the member schools of the Pac-12. And there was actually some some scuttle or, or some scattered uh, conversation that it looked like Oregon, there had been an individual offer for Oregon to go to the big 10, they had declined because they weren't going without Washington for whatever that pack, whatever that reason is. And, uh, that Arizona, matter of fact, uh, Brett McMurphy, uh, uh who is a, a reporter that covers a lot of different things, a lot of college football. He actually said that a, a source had told him that if Arizona leaves the, uh, pack 12, that the president of the school deserves an Oscar because he has sold it to the to utmost that they are not going anywhere. And this is all Friday morning before the meeting. Then they had the meeting. I'm assuming part of what went on was all the media details were discussed and exactly just how bad the, the media rights deal was. And by the time that meeting was concluded, it went from Oregon's not going anywhere because Washington's not going to be able to get into the Big Ten and Arizona is staying put. So that's from 10 a.m., which is roughly about 1 p.m. our time, from 1 p.m. our time, central time, to 6 p.m. In that five-hour window, it went from that to Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah, and Colorado are now leaving the, the Pac-12 and headed to the uh, – the Big 12 or the Pac-10 head to the Big 12 and Oregon and Washington were both accepted or and applied for and accepted and, and the deal was done. Uh, and that all, I mean, it was amazing, obviously, for everything to happen as quickly as it did. There was a lot more going on than anybody was willing to, to own up to. That being said, it's still all un, uh unraveled for the Pac-12 and, and was put out there with deal done, deal done, deal done. Man, it happened quick. It was incredible how quickly it happened. There were some reports, Darren, that there were representatives of teams that were as, 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 as close as 10 minutes going into that meeting where the, they, they thought everybody was on board. They were going to sign the grant right. of rights. Yep. And then someone from Oregon told them or, Hey, we're, we're going to the big, big 10. Yep. So it really unraveled quickly. 
And I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. No, I, I no. think some of the moves made sense. Uh, Arizona definitely makes sense going to the Big 12. Yeah. I, I think that was a, a good move. I'm not so sure about Arizona State and Utah. I think they got caught in a position where they didn't have much, many alternatives out there. And so they, they took what they thought was the best one. And I think Utah becomes a little bit more appealing to the Big 12 and vice versa. The Big 12 a little bit more appealing to Utah because BYU is always already there. You know, you've got that reinstatement of the Holy War. You know, that was such an incredible rivalry game that happened year in and year out. So so that's a positive there. I think that probably helped on both sides to kind of make that deal and, and, and pull Utah over. But you're right that so many of the deals don't make sense, and it's not anything new that, that we've had our objections about this whole thing. But USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, going into the Big Ten, where you've got schools in Maryland, I, I, to me, it just doesn't make any sense a, a, at all. I don't – and, you know, we're SEC homers. We don't try to lie about that either. I think it shows just how desperate all the other conferences are to try to even get in the same space as the SEC, that they would make this broad and enormous of a leap and pull schools in. I mean, Maryland to USC is 2,700 miles. That doesn't make any sense to me. And don't underestimate the role TV networks had in this. Absolutely. One of the, the difficulties with the Pac-12 and the West Coast start times is much of the country, who's watching a game that starts at 9.30 or right. 8.30 West Coast time when it's 10.30 your time, or if you're on the East Coast, it's 11.30 your time. Yep. This way, now you're, you're plugged in with a whole nother section of the country, potential for higher TV ratings. And, and that's not being talked about a lot. And probably because, Darren, a lot of the folks that cover this work for companies that are either the TV networks directly or companies that are that own those networks. And so it, it, it becomes limiting in what some can say. But but I think yep. as this goes on, history is going to show us that the TV networks were right in the middle of this Absolutely. and dri- driving a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you and I were talking before we started recording. Uh, I even heard one and it was just a, a YouTube show, a YouTube channel. I, I can't even I don't remember who it was. I was just trying to watch as much as I could and get, get as much information as I could this weekend. But one of them pointed to the fact that um, if you look at the original Pac-12 media deal, that most people ended up saying was a bad deal because it moved everything back. ESPN was trying to cover. And of course this is several years ago in the creation of the PAC 12 network and, and all that kind of stuff that ESPN made that a bad deal from the, from the start uh, because it moved everything back. They were trying to get into that later window to extend the amount of coverage that they had throughout the day. You know, they basically would have coverage from eight 30 in the morning till, you know, midnight basically and have ball games on that that was a bad deal that really hurt their exposure. And even if it wasn't intentional by ESPN, it was one of the the building blocks that put this whole thing into motion. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, some clear examples. You remember when Texas was thinking about going to the Pac-12? Yeah, and I, do. Also, I do. And, and one of the things that's going to come out of all this is the battle between ESPN and Fox. Yeah. So suddenly Texas gets the Longhorn Network. 
Right. <laughs> a network for an entire school, not a conference, not a, for an entire school. That is pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. Let's talk uh, about some of this uh, conference alignment. And mm -hmm. one of the, the, I've read several articles, as you have, about the, um, the attitude of, of those in charge in the PAC 12, um, right. not condescending, but, but what, you know, thinking that uh, they were, they were much better off than they were and, and pretending to be that way. And, and there's a tendency when you, you have that attitude, you look down on others. And one clear example mm -hmm. of this is Arizona state. Not only did the president of that university fight tooth and nail to keep Arizona from going to the big 12 until he realized he needed a conference to go to as well. Right. Uh, but the athletic director in a huge faux pas movement moment actually denigrated West Virginia, the university, the football program, all the, all the fine people that live in that state. I was with one say state sweeping see, yeah. statement. Yeah. And there, have that on there i sure do uh, yeah go ahead and read what ray anderson had to say ray anderson says i promise i'm not going to morgantown i'm going to sign that to gene boyd the deputy ad he can go to morgantown but send me to texas and the rivalry with arizona and starting a new one with byu and utah and colorado so one absolute shot he he took a, a shot at everyone yeah uh uh, Mr. Anderson, I'm not sure that you should be taking shots at anybody when you consider exactly. the state of your athletic program and how the Big 12 just bailed you out of a horribly embarrassing situation. Yeah, agree completely. So we have some listeners from West Virginia, and even though we're not covering much of the Big 12 this year, uh, we still will periodically mention games and and and. Uh, news connected with the big 12. Yeah. Cause we and, are still covering Texas and Oklahoma, right? Uh, even though they are in the sec, they still have some big 12 games to play this year. How's that? Is that and, and what, <laughs> one of our, one of our loyal listeners from the very beginning is Nicole yes. and Nicole lives in West Virginia. And she had this to say about Ray Anderson's statement. He just doesn't want to travel 2,000 miles to get embarrassed like he did in the 2016 Cactus Bowl. <laughs> he knows West Virginia fans are louder and way more passionate than ASU. He just doesn't want to experience a real college football atmosphere. Well said, Nicole. Well played. Very well said. Very well said. And you know what? When you open your mouth like that uh, and you're coming out of the Pac-12 and you have that to say about a Big 12 school, and not only just a Big 12 school, but a school that has such a, a long and rich history of football, you know, you open the door up for people to say very justifiable comments like that. There's, there's no refuting everything she just said. Yeah, I think I've seen West Virginia in contention to play for the national championship or, or, or trending that way. A mm -hmm. lot more in history than I've ever seen Arizona State. I, I would say that's definitive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to step out of the feud between Nicole and the Arizona State University Athletic Director, but I think we're siding with Nicole on this one. I think we are as well. And we do have we do have comments from one other person uh, that's not, a, not necessarily a fan. At least as far as we know, he doesn't listen. But we have had listens in the past from Missouri, so who knows? He might be listening. 
but we did we did want to go ahead with thought and we'll talk about it a little bit on the on the back side of it but we did want to also play the comments that um coach eli drinkwitz from missouri or at least a snippet of his comments that coach eli drinkwitz from missouri had to say about the entire realignment thing and not just the everything specifically with the pac-12 but the entire issue of conference realignment Hmm. i was really hoping nobody would ask me that question all right i'm gonna say it i thought the transfer window i thought the portal was closed uh Oh, that's just for the student athletes. The adults in the room get to do whatever they want, apparently. And it's, um, you know, it's just sad that there's, um, look, I, I, my question is, did we count the cost? I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about, did we count the cost for the student athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student athletes? We're talking about a football decision they based off football, but what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross country? Do we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator of, uh, of symptom of, or cause of mental health is? It's lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, you know, those, those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? Are we going to look back? I, I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. We'll all figure it out. But did we consider the people that we are entrusted with? Did we consider the student athlete? Because then we're asking them to go out on their own to get NIL. We didn't say we're going to revenue share. We're not saying they're getting a piece of it. So that, that's the thing that's bothering me right now in this whole situation is we keep trying to limit what the student athlete can do, but then we act on our own. Well said. Yeah, definitely. Pretty interesting comments. And, and I think, you know, to me, the thing that really stood out to me and, and, and made me want to start the conversation between you and I about playing this, at least this clip and is, is more so than just about anybody else that I've heard talk about this, uh, that's actively a part of the college football scene, not just a reporter or anything like that, but someone, you know, coach, administrator, whoever, he focused more on what this has to do, what this could do to the student athlete than I think anybody that, that I've, I've heard speak about it. And he goes on and talks about, you know, several other things. It's a, it's a little over a four minute clip where he gives his two cents worth, but you can tell it really is a focus on the student athlete and, you know, when you are in swimming or like you mentioned, baseball and softball, but you're when you're in those sports and you've went to a school because it's close to home and your parents can come see the largest majority of what you do or, you know, travel two or three hours and see the largest majority of what you do. And now all of a sudden you've got an indoor track and field meet that's going to be twenty seven hundred miles away in in Maryland. In most circumstances, mom and dad aren't going to make it to that much less, I mean, and even just from a fan perspective, how hard, that, that's a road trip that's just never going to be made for the most part from either perspective. That trip's just never going to be made. And so I, I think we have to look at it from a fan perspective as well, but I really appreciated what Coach Drinkwitz had to say regarding the the student athletes and, and that being the focus. And are we really taking care of them in this process and what, what we're doing? I, I felt that was very interesting.
really good thoughts. I appreciate his mention of mental health, yes, which is such an important subject that we need to very talk much about so. even more. Yep, so, very much so. Um, good comments. Thank you for uh, downloading that clip, Darren, and uh, definitely something for all of us to consider. Yes. We've got more to talk about, including SEC previews for four teams. But before we get there, let's pause for this week in sports history. August 12, 1992, the Olympic men's basketball final is played in Barcelona, Spain. The American Dream Team won the gold medal in a dominant performance. The Dream Team was the first American Olympic basketball team to feature NBA players and is widely considered to be the greatest team ever assembled in any sport. The team includes legends such as Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, and Scottie Pippen. The team breezed through the preliminary round, winning by an average of 51.5 points per game. The final was against Croatia. The Dream Team showed no mercy, leading by 15 points at halftime and extending the margin to 32 points by the end of the game. The final score was 117-85, to with Jordan scoring 22 points and Barkley adding 17 points and 10 rebounds. The Dream Team received their gold medals amid a standing ovation from the crowd and the world. Oh, thank you. Man, I remember that team from 1992. <laughs> like it was yesterday. The excitement mm. of of just when when the announcements were first made of here's what's going to happen. We are going to legitimately have a dream team. There was just so much excitement around that. And then when they started naming the players, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good deal. It would definitely, if, if someone wants to argue about the greatest teams ever assembled, I would definitely take uh, the, the case of the 1992 Olympic dream oh, team. Absolutely. Can you imagine, you know, I know we've had some of our NBA uh, players that were on the Olympic teams that were made up of, of Olympic players be our Olympic teams made up of NBA players. Easy for you to say mm -hmm. uh, that have gotten beat in subsequent years. I can't imagine a scenario that that, that team was just so ridiculously above and beyond anything that, that any of the other, uh, the teams that other countries were putting together could even imagine that there, there's just not a scenario where that team could have ever even come close to, to getting beat. No, there, there's a, there's so many stories connected with that team. You know, you know, Larry Bird uh, retired later that that year from the Celtics, and he was not the player he he once was. And they were scrimmaging right. somebody and uh, a younger player. I forget who it was. I want to say Rodney Rogers, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, made some comment to to Bird. You you haven't done anything since 1987. <laughs> well, Bird just proceeded to light him up. And Absolutely. someone said, well, how you feel, Larry? And Larry goes, I feel like it's 1987. <laughs> you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I think it's 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 come along more as, you know, more videos and stuff and all of that coverage. gets. But he had the ability to, 
trash talk on a pretty a uh, pretty high skill level is, is what I'm understanding from the things you see that come out now. Larry Bird was probably the greatest trash talker in the history of basketball. And is that not awesome? I mean, and now you admittedly are a bigger basketball fan, especially a professional basketball fan than I am, but that's not something I remember people talking about a whole lot. I think that's just been over the last several years that that's become a bigger topic of conversation or were, were you more familiar with it? Honestly. If you watch basketball, you were familiar with it. Uh, One of Bird's greatest strengths was, you know, he wasn't the most athletically gifted player on the court. So how did he beat guys that could jump higher and run faster who were quicker Mm -hmm. than him? Mm -hmm. He, He was the best at the mental game. He would get inside players' heads and he would, he would take advantage. That, that was where Bird had the advantage. And that's a very good point. That's, you know, he, he was fun to watch, no matter lack of athleticism, all that. He was so much – well, that whole team, we've talked about that before. That Celtics team, they were fun to watch. Mark it down, Darren. We need to have a Larry Bird episode in the future. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, after football season, but I'm all for that. <laughs> well, let's get back to football. We've got some teams that we want to talk about today. Uh, previews, and we're going to start with Alabama giving our SEC previews. Now, Alabama, yep. of course, I think we all know – coached by Nick Saban, 27 years now that Saban has been coaching, a record of 285 and 69, 19 and 11 in bowl games, and seven national championships, which makes him currently, at the present, the greatest coach that's still coaching. Definitely GOAT status. But, Darren, one of the big questions about Alabama – is the quarterback situation. They have yeah. three guys right now, uh, Tyler Buckner, a transfer from Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and Jalen Milrow, who played some last year, and Ty yeah. Simpson. And as of today, there is no clear front runner. And, you know, kind of the weird thing about that is, is the fact that Tyler Buckner came in uh, like he did, and, you know, Tommy Reese comes from Notre Dame, but most – I guess, insider reports or the conversation that's kind of out there, uh, especially on social media, is that that he was pretty involved in in Tyler Buckner leaving Notre Dame and, and them pursuing a replacement. So it's interesting that the person that was pivotal in him leaving Notre Dame comes to Alabama and is now pivotal, pivotal in him coming to Alabama. And I, to me, that makes the whole thing uh, even more almost undiagnosable. I I mean, there's been a lot of, there's been conversation as fall camp has started that Jalen Milrow is is really um, fitting in well, but at the same time uh, that, that, that Tyler Buckner is, I mean, he's, he's familiar with the system. He, he, even though some of the language has changed because you have to make it work within what, what Nick Saban does at Alabama, offense and defense, that, but that he's, he's more familiar with the system, and that has given him a little bit of a leg up possibly as well. But no matter who's the quarterback, I, I think the big thing that we look at from an offensive perspective with them is there's going to be a notable change. Tommy Reese's offenses is, over his time at Notre Dame were from a pace perspective the slowest offenses in the NCAA. They it was the exact opposite of everything Mike Leach did at Mississippi State or Lane Kiffin does at Ole Miss. They were uh, 
literally, it's not an it's not a uh, an overstatement by statistic. They were the slowest least plays per offense of all of NCAA during on average during his entire time there. And back during uh, the fall, uh, after the season was over with, uh, Nick Saban made a comment on a local radio show and said, the one thing we're missing is we've got to be able to grind it out. We've got to get back to a slower pace where if we need three yards, we can get three yards. So I think no matter who's the play caller or the signal caller uh, in the hole, that's going to be a very decided difference that we're going to see from an offensive perspective with Alabama this year. And on the other side of the ball, Kevin Steele, a familiar name to mm-hmm. Alabama fans, mm-hmm. has come back to to serve as the defensive coordinator. This is his third stint with Saban. Uh, he previously was in 2014 as a linebackers coach, and then he was at Alabama from 2007 to 2008. Last year, he was a D coordinator for Miami. Uh, he's been the D coordinator at Auburn. He's been the D coordinator at LSU. His defenses have done very well. Uh, he was a D coordinator at Clemson. It, it's amazing the places this guy has been. been. Yeah, <laughs> Darren, I was digging more into his history recently, and he actually was on Tom Osborne's staff at Nebraska when they no won kidding. the national title in 1994. I, did, I think I did I think not he was know a linebackers that. coach. So there's wow. some pretty interesting connections. Yep. Of course, Tom yep. Osborne is an absolute legend, but before that, he played. At Tennessee for Johnny Majors. Is that not unreal? Yeah. And then after his playing days, coached under Johnny Majors at Tennessee. So the guy has been around a long, long time. And that's a pretty weird combination of schools in the SEC to have coached at Tennessee, Auburn, and Alabama. <laughs> that's pretty that's Don't a forget pretty LSU. Odd, yeah, that's right, and LSU. That's a pretty odd combination of schools yeah. <laughs> to coach at. But, you know, I, I think what he'll bring is an understanding more of what Nick Saban wants to do uh, and the two of them being able to work together because I think, I think inherently Nick Saban will have more trust in him uh, and, and, you know, when you've got, I mean, the, the all SEC, all name SEC team, there is one winner hands down this year, and it is Kool-Aid McKinstry. That is the greatest <laughs> name in all of football for this season. And you've got him at, at, at one of your, you know, he's one of the nation's top quarter, cornerbacks. He's in, in your secondary. And also they have a kid named Caleb Downs that's coming in this year that's going to be a part of the secondary. I think we'll see him start day one. I, it would absolutely shock me if he's not on the field the very first game as a defensive starter. I've even heard – I'm not willing to throw this out because I'm not overly familiar with him. I've done a little bit of looking into him. I've heard some people that cover uh, Alabama uh, as daily, it's what they do, say that they would not be surprised if this this if Caleb Downs is not only an all-freshman SEC a player, but runs the possibility of making one of the all SEC teams might be second or third team, but could potentially he brings that much. As long as he understands the system and is able to work within the system, there's a possibility that he is going to be that level of player in his first year on the field. So that says a lot for your defense that, that, that gives you a lot of hope. If, if you're an Alabama fan last year, Alabama finished 10 and two, some of the big games, including the SEC games they have coming up this year. Mm-hmm. September 9th, they host Texas in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. It should be a great game. September 23rd, Ole Miss the 30th. 
Mississippi State, October 7th, at they go to College Station at A&M, which after the dust-up between him and Jimbo, that's always oh, yeah. an entertaining that's watch. That's going to be a good one. Then they got Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, all at home, by the way. Mm-hmm. They travel to Lexington to play Kentucky, and they end up uh, finish up with the Iron Bowl on the, November 25th at Auburn. So when you hear that schedule, Darren, you have a prediction of their record? Well, you know, honestly, I think Auburn is one of the toughest uh, road games they've got just because of what it is. Is Auburn going to be that level? No, but I, I think that one's a little scary. But when you think about the fact Texas, LSU, Arkansas, all those games are at home. Tennessee. That, Tennessee, those games made a big difference last year in what their schedule ended up being. It wouldn't surprise me if they end up being a 10 and 2 because they have so many of that those games at home. I, I I don't think I don't see a way that they end up less than 10 and 2 because I don't think that they'll lose two games in the SEC. Uh and that's going to be tough for LSU uh and we'll talk about them more in, in a couple of weeks down the road, but I feel like 10 and 2 is a very reasonable possibility for them. I just can't see on that schedule three losses uh, unless there is like an Auburn or somebody that, you know, a road game where somebody slips up on them. Unless the quarterback position completely falls apart, that changes everything. But as long as that comes together like we've seen in years past, I think 10 and 2 is a very reasonable expectation for this Alabama team. And you can never count out Nick Saban. He's a, a no, great, great coach. Absolutely. And so I, I don't see him declining at all. So no. I'm sure Alabama will be in the mix uh, for SEC West Championship. Yep. So let's go down to Arkansas. Our friends up in Fayetteville where head coach Sam Pittman is in his third year with a record of 19 and 17. Not an overly stellar record. He's 2-0 and in bowl games. Last year, Arkansas was a little bit of a disappointment, finishing 7-6. Yep. and six. But they've got a solid returning quarterback in KJ Jefferson. Absolutely. Who threw for 24 touchdowns compared to only five <laughs> interceptions last year. Good they've got you. an incredible running back in Raheem yep. Rocket Sanders. I mean, over 1,400 yards last year, 10 touchdowns. Arkansas was the seventh best rushing team in the country, and they've got a new offensive coordinator. Yep. Dan Enos. Uh, who's familiar to Arkansas fans because he was there before. And mm-hmm. in 2015, when he was there, they set the school record for touchdowns and average points per game, th- mm-hmm. almost 36 points a game. So you look at the offensive side of the ball for Arkansas, the running game is there, the quarterback play is there. They've got a proven product in an offensive coordinator who's come back. Uh, they're not going to have any problems scoring points, are they? No, no. And, and when you look at the, the skill level that K.J. Jefferson already brings to the table and quarterbacks that Dan Enos has had under his tutelage in, in one form or another, uh, you know, are, are names like Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, Desmond Ritter. You know, he can bring along a quarterback, even an established, very talented quarterback. So I think this is going to do wonders for Arkansas, for their offense. Um, you, you know, no no shade in, in the past and the fast-paced offense, but I think it's going to be a very multiple set, more pro-style offense uh, that will be much or be less RPO heavy that Danny Enos is going to bring to the table. And I think, honestly, that's going to be more 
that's going to fit better for KJ Jefferson. He's going to be able to depend on his feet, but not have to select his feet every single time and be able to just sit, sit back in the pocket and, and read, look at his options. I think that's going to fit his style of play much better. So I think offensively, it, it has the potential uh, to, to be a really, really stellar year and probably the year that everybody thought K.J. Jefferson would have last year, I, I think is what this year has the potential to be. On the other side of the ball, they have a new off, a defensive coordinator in Travis mm-hmm. Williams, who's got his work cut out for him. Last year, Arkansas gave up almost 31 points a game, so mm-hmm. a lot of work to do on the defensive a side of the of ball. Yep. Some of their big games coming up this year, September 16th, they host BYU. The 23rd, they travel down to Baton Rouge to face LSU. The 30th, they go for the annual matchup with AM in Arlington, Texas. And mm-hmm. then they then then they have, look at this, they go to Ole Miss. Then they go to Alabama. That's two, that's a brutal stretch right there. Yep. Mississippi definitely. State at Florida, Auburn, and then they finish with Missouri. So again, no easy games in the SEC, no. and Sam Pittman's going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah. And I think that I, I don't definitely want to see Arkansas do well just out of our love for Sam Pittman. But I think that LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, Alabama stretch, even if you start the season off 3-0, and I mean, a couple of those games you get out, get out from under you and, and it can start a slide that, I mean, thankfully you're looking at going to Mississippi State and then coming out of that into a bye and then you have Florida, Auburn, FIU, Missouri. So, so you could still recover but I think it's there's a potential that you go into your bye uh, four and four, you know, playing 500 ball, because that's that's tough at LSU, Texas A&M, at Ole Miss, at Alabama, and I don't care who your coach is or how talented your quarterback is. That's a nasty. I mean, that's a murderer's row type stretch. That's that's ugly, ugly to to have that that stretch right there in the middle. And truthfully, Mississippi State, even though you're in the West with them, who knows what they're going to look like. So, so there's that's an ugly five-week run. Let's go over to Auburn and, and look at the season preview for the Auburn Tigers. They have a new head coach in Hugh Freeze, comes over from Liberty, a career record of 83 and 43, uh, been coaching for 10 years, Arkansas State, Ole Miss, Liberty. He's, he's no stranger to the SEC, had a Absolutely. good run at Ole Miss where he finished – with a record of 64 and 39, including three mm-hmm. and one in bowl games. Last year's record at Auburn, not so good. Five and seven, two and six in the conference. But they had a pretty good offseason in the transfer portal. Not only did they get the coach that they wanted, they got a quarterback in Peyton Thorne from Michigan, uh, from Michigan State. I'm sorry. And last year's offense is not was not all bad. They averaged close to 25 points a game, over 200 yards rushing a game. Uh, so there's definitely some some building blocks for offensive coordinator Philip Montgomery, a former head mm-hmm. coach at Tulsa and offensive coordinator at Baylor. Hugh Freeze always seems to have good offenses, Darren. Do you see that yeah. changing here at Auburn? No, not at all. And honestly, I think even if there were some questions about what, what all you can do uh, uh, with an offense um, – coming in and, and bringing in as many transfers as they have, which to me is one of their biggest concerns, both sides of the ball, so many transfers. But bringing in somebody like Philip Montgomery, I mean, you know, his offenses at Tulsa 
you know, you're talking about uh, having a 3,000-yard passer, 2,000-yard rushers, 2,000-yard receivers. I mean, they cranked out the stats. So I think the one thing – there's so many – there's so much RPO and fast-paced offense within the college game and within the high school game now, truthfully, that I think sometimes players can get a little bit more settled into that, even if the verbiage is not necessarily the same. The the, the movements, the, the your cues and all those different things can be very, very similar. So I think there's a possibility to kind of settle into that a little bit more, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what this offensive does, even if they don't even if they don't have the firepower that you might think they do, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be interesting seeing. And you never know how it's going to go when the season starts, but the understanding from everything that's coming out of fall camp right now is it is going to be Philip Philip Montgomery doing the play calling. That that was one of the reasons somebody that had head coaching experience that had also been a successful coordinator was what uh, he why he appealed to Hugh Freeze, and he wanted to bring somebody in that would take over play calling. So so that's that's going to be interesting to watch and I think also has a potential to make it even more exciting just because of the history of what Philip Montgomery has done with offenses. And on the opposite side of the ball, Ron Roberts, new defensive coordinator, comes over after serving uh, at Baylor. And if you're mm-hmm. coaching defense on Dave Aranda's staff, mm-hmm. you it's pretty much a given you know what you're doing and you're doing Absolutely. it well. Absolutely. So he's got some some good transfers that are plugging into that defense, uh, returning a great line, linebacker and Cam Riley. Uh, last year's defense, though, gave up about 172, 173 yards a game rushing. So oh. they're going to be looking to improve on that. And, and, you know, on both sides of the ball, there's been some transfers come in like we talked about, but the line is going to be the biggest. What's that going to look like? Because if you're going to run a 3-4, uh, which is what they're going to. It looks like they're they're going to do. Uh, then you got to have some run stoppers. You cannot, you, you know, giving up 172 yards a, a game. Now some of that is scheme, but they didn't have the guys to to put in the holes. And so that's a big issue if I'm looking at the, the defense of, of Auburn. And to me, on defense, especially even more so than offense, every key key position is a concern. I, I'm assuming it was a very real thing when Hugh Freeze pulls the defense together and says, there is no starter in this group. You got to earn it because there literally wasn't, you know, every key position is a concern. And to me, knowing what they've got to face because they're in the sec West, well, that's scary. I mean, they're going to look decent and they're going to have some, they're going to pull off some wins that you didn't think they would because Hugh Freeze is involved and everywhere he's been, there's been a bump, but it's a scary year if I'm an Auburn fan because that defense, man, they're going to have to make some serious, serious leaps. A lot of work to be done there, but Hugh Freeze yep. has proven to be a winner everywhere he's gone. Some big games yes. that Auburn has coming up. September 23rd, they travel to College Station to face A&M. They got Georgia at home. They go to Baton Rouge to face LSU. They got Ole Miss at home, Mississippi State at home. Uh, November 4th, they got Vanderbilt at home, which is a good thing because uh, – mm-hmm. Vanderbilt may not have a stadium still by November 4th, uh, November <laughs> 11th. Sidelines. They'll have sidelines. <laughs> November 11th, they go to uh, Arkansas, and then they finish at home in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. So, again, as we've said previously, no easy schedules in the SEC. 
Yeah, when you look at your schedule, no matter what else is going on on your schedule, and you play Georgia, LSU, and Alabama, that's ugly. <laughs> There's just nothing pretty about that. <laughs> no. Well, we've got one more team to talk about in tonight's preview, and that is the Florida Gators with second-year head coach Billy Napier mm-hmm. with a five-year coaching record of 46-19, and 2-2 two and two in bowl games. But the bulk of that was at Louisiana, where he mm-hmm. – his record was 40 and 12 last year. Not so great. His first year yeah. at Florida, six and seven. They lost a incredible quarterback talent in Anthony Richardson. They got a potential replacement, the kid from Wisconsin, Graham Mertz. Uh, but still, this is a this is a lengthy rebuild project for Napier. Yeah, they've got Trevor Etienne back uh, at running back, but it, it's still I don't. Do you see them getting over the hump this year, Darren? I, I don't see any way how. I mean, it would be a beyond incredible coaching job if they do. I'm hoping for him because we're fans and want to see him succeed. Uh, I'm hoping for him that the Florida fans are honest enough to know just how ugly of a you know uh, this process is going to be and how difficult of a build it is. Because I think there are some Florida fans that are already saying, okay, this year, it's your second year, you've got in more of your guys, this should happen and that should happen. I, I don't – if they can maintain where they were last year and show – more competitiveness show that they're moving in the right direction. None of the games are blowouts, even the law, you know, the losses aren't blowouts and you win the games you're supposed to. I think that's a good second year for what Billy or Billy Napier walked into. It it looks like the big thing that's coming out of fall camp for them is their O line and their D line are just straight legit. These are big old boys <laughs> that can move whatever side of the ball they're on, how they're supposed to move, they can do it. So that's 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 a big deal. That that helps, especially in the type of system uh, that Billy Napier likes to run. And it looks like the other thing that's coming out of fall camp for Florida, it looks like Graham Mertz has really made an impression. And if he he has not at this point yet been named the starter, but it looks like that's going to be the direction they go. And he has really uh, made impressions with the coaching staff and made a big impression on the coaching staff and is most most likely that's going to be the, the direction they go. You mentioned the defensive struggles. They do have a new defensive coordinator in Austin Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Last year's defense gave up 28.8 points a game. They have four starters returning, so there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. So guys stepping up. And they'll have to right off the bat because September 2nd, they travel to Utah. And you yeah. know that Utah is going to be looking back, looking for some payback from last year. They've had that game circled. You know they have. <laughs> and a few weeks later, they host Tennessee at home. They travel to Lexington. They have Vanderbilt at home. They go to South Carolina. They October 28th, they play Georgia at Jack in Jacksonville. Then Arkansas at home at LSU at Missouri, and then they wind up with Florida State at home. So a, a a tough, tough schedule. Yeah, very much. But I will say this. If they show improvement and they win that Utah game in Utah, which is a huge if, and then they're able to gain some momentum with McNeese, which they should in, in every feasible way they should, that Tennessee game, Looks a little bit interesting just strictly because I mean, I'm pretty. I think I was in college 
the last time Tennessee won in the swamp. It's been a long time. So that's a big mental kind of barrier to overcome. Now, honestly, if, if things go well for Tennessee, you know, I, I don't have high anticipation for this game. If I'm a Florida fan, I definitely wouldn't. But it does. If they show some true momentum, that game becomes really, really interesting. And, and at least it'll even if it ends up being a blowout by Tennessee, there will be a lot of conversation about it the week of that game, just strictly because it's been so long since Tennessee won in the swamp. And Florida has that new tradition of singing I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. And you know what? That has to that that's worth at least what a field goal. I mean, yeah. that, that's at least that's at least worth a little bit when you're at home. Don't underestimate sure. the, the power of Tom Petty's music. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Next week, we'll continue with more SEC previews, and we'll continue to do this leading up to the season. Thank you for sticking with us. We went a little longer than we normally do, but if you're a Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, or Mississippi State fan, you don't want to miss next week's episode. New episodes drop every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Listen at your convenience on whatever podcast platform you like to. If you like watching us, then come back to YouTube and and watch us here on YouTube. As always, we so appreciate appreciate you uh, for watching and supporting us. And and Darren, any other ways we need to remind people how to connect? I love the 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 scrolling at the at the bottom that reminds people about the email and and how to get in touch with us. And also a reminder again, we didn't have any for this week. Uh, we did have the one fan comment from a West Virginia fan in Nicole. But if you would like to send us a ninety second to two minute video telling us what you think your team's season is going to look like, especially Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State fans. We're going to be talking about about your teams next week. Send that to brewinshavers at gmail.com. Just record it on your phone uh, and and then send it to us, and and we'll get that and not only show it but also talk about it and react to it as well. Uh, So so be sure and do that and and send us those videos if you would like. We'd love to have them. Absolutely. So until next week, y'all take care. Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is important. Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandshavers at gmail.com or text to our text line, 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. See you next week.